Here we discuss introspection, being, development, and all the good stuff. Let's talk about current events and our view of current events and the religion of the West. It's it's scary, you know, in my own experience and with others that we've assumed that how we view the world and our values have always been there and always will be there without even the slightest care or recognition of this evolving, changing level of values. And what's even more amazing is that we hold this deep sacredness for the current values as if only 50 years ago we had different values that we held sacred and that in another 50 years we will have values different than this that we will hold sacred. Now this is fine if we're in admittance that we're holding these sacred as opposed to assuming that this is law. It's obvious. It's common sense. Similarly, in religion, you have people that will claim that the religion is common sense. It's, it's, it's obvious and perfect without admitting that it's their own sacredness of that that makes it important. And it doesn't have to be important if we don't make it important. It's funny because as I discuss this conversation, I'm almost afraid to open up at our current values because of how sacred we hold them, how serious we take them. And the only way to have a conversation about it is to really hit the jugular, hit where it is actually, and also... The only way to recognize the evolution of it is to have that conversation. Like I see trends that are evolving that most people don't realize or are not studying enough that will be the next 10 years of values that are very different than our current values. Now, anybody has the opportunity to take that study and learn what is going to be the future of the values of the West, which are not going to be what it is now. And kind of like we feel, and there is a sentiment that it is changing now. There's a deep change happening in this current climate. And within five, six years, we're going to have a different set of values. Now, why is this important? Well, because it's our conversation. It's what we care about. It's what we feel embarrassed to discuss. We're shameful because it's so deep to our hearts. The value of protecting the innocent. The value of protecting female over male. The value of liberalism. The value of sexual misconduct. The the justice of sexual misconduct. The value of free expression and open expression these are just a couple now these values are not going to always be here and they weren't here 
50 years ago, they did not exist, some of these values, and the extreme, at least, of them. So, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty because we spend enough time talking about that, and there is perspective, deep perspective, in each conversation that we're having as a society. But I do want to talk about the frame. I like to talk about the meta frame of situations, the bigger picture. Because once we get the bigger picture, we could go down to the details in our own lives, walk in our own path and find that understanding to fix the, the more detailed situations. If I was going to discuss the depth of my perspective of the gender crisis or the identity crisis. It might bring argumentation, some insight, but I'm in the details. And it might not speak to the bigger picture of what's contributing to it. And maybe there'll be insight in the specific of gender questions or identity questions, but we won't have the deeper narrative that will speak to all the avenues of this problem. Meaning, there's a halo above us questing us to resolve the situation in a proper manner. And if we get jogged down by the details, then we won't get to the true development of this, this halo. Okay. So what's the bigger picture? What's contributing to this? Well, first understanding that this is a value system, a Western value system that evolved from other value systems in the West and other societies, and that although it's held to be extreme sacredness to the point of justice and, and really strong reforms, it is moving on a continuum and it won't always be here and we don't always need to oblige by it although there is certain there's a certain respect that we need to have because the society has a respect for something because we are a part of society but we don't we're not obliged by by it from with tooth and nail that's what i'm saying we're not we're not we're not embedded to it and we could separate when we need to and come back to it when we need to. It's it's a it's a Bible, right? And we could access it to develop ourselves and we could distance ourselves to focus on whatever else we want to focus on. But that deep that separation, not deep separation, but that necessary separation between the fact that this is only values that are sacred in the Western hemisphere but are not fundamental laws of the best humanity possible they're deeply flawed like all ideas and they have virtue like most ideas well like all ideas too but there's more more flaws to propositions than virtue because proposition itself is a flaw. And that's another discussion. Proposition is a flaw because 
what is true doesn't need to be propositionalized. It is just true. The fact that we're propositionalizing distance our subtle heart, our sensitivity to intellectual formulation. And it just it takes us out of the human interface and brings us into the robotic experience. So, yeah, but that's a side note. Back to the discussion at hand of framing these values to be frames. The most important thing is to recognize that something is not you, but something you are bounding yourself to, bowing down to and sacrificing to. Now we see automatically, we see it's clear as day that this is not the general trend of our society. If anything, we've we've come to over-sacredize these things. We've come to make it too holy. How do we know? Because there's no room for conversation in it. You know, it's just, it's it's divine. We can't talk about it. Um, you see it, if you study, you can see that, that trend. But that is not my reproach and... That's many others, and I don't think I think that's a distraction from the good conversation that we could have about what we're willing to have a conversation about. It's like you could criticize your friend for not wanting to talk about something, but wouldn't you rather find the conversation that you would want to talk about that is related to the thing that you actually want to talk about that they're not willing to have? Now, now that we know it's a frame, it's it's something that we're attaching ourselves to what is the detachment of that because it's necessary for us to detach from those values in order to have a conversation about those values in a in a third person perspective that enables us to develop that those ideas meaning if if it's who we are then we can't discuss it you know, it's it's not available for discourse, but once we recognize that it's it's one step away from us, it's us bounding to that ideal, then there's room for conversation. Now let's not go to the opposite extreme, and this is so important. There's deep virtue in liberalism. Now, because there's there's a lack of conversation because it's become too sacred, the views, and there's reasons why it became too sacred and some broken psychology and some, you know, because there is deep ideals there. There's reason to say it's, it's, it's holier than, than thou, you know, there's, there's room for that. But the opposite extreme is even more dangerous. And I argue this over and over. It's, the danger is not liberalism as much as we th we see it as a danger because it's so strong and deep and it's like a, a locomotive to our worldview, to everything we're doing, to history. It's, it's redacting the entire frame that we've had till now. But the opposite extreme of saying, okay, they're over-sacredizing there's nothing there. They're stuck in a bliss of nothingness. And now we're going to go to the opposite extreme and say, no, 
we're going to create a frame that is based on everything opposite of that. They're saying that, you know, we're going to protect the female. Let's protect the male. They're saying that we're going to protect identity. Let's protect the, 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 the freedom of the individual. To impose on each other. Right. That's also an expression, right? We're going to go to the opposite extremes of everything. But what will result is that, and this is, this is the problem of war. This is nothing new. The problem of war is that the enemy strikes, right? Takes the first strike for whatever reason, whatever the motive is. Now, your defense is based on that strike, it's not because you have a deep reason to strike your enemy, but rather because you're bound to the sentiment of that strike of your enemy that you're fighting. So your whole energy is based on your connection to your enemy. And I'll give you a thorough example. If your child hits you, a two-year-old child hits you, emotionally stable, normal, healthy adults, and I say normal because unfortunately there is terrible situations where there's there's a wrong response is is a lack there's no defense the child is even if there's an aggression to the child there should be no defense of the adult there should be maybe reproach but defense as if there's a there's an attack and the reason is because i'm not connected to this adversary with negativity. I'm just not going to allow it to be assumed to be a threat of my existence. And let's say the child, you know, hits you in the wrong place that hurts you. Still, there's no deep defense. And that is because I'm not connecting to them as my enemy in order to fight them. But the second someone knocks knocks into your existence, an adult, a functional, healthy adult, and and gives you that same hit with that same thrust, there is there is a deep defense going on. One, because your life could be more threatened, but also because you're connecting to them deeply. You don't connect to your child as an adult you don't connect to your child with a deep developed sense of intellect you're connecting to a, a small component of yourself into the child therefore you'll 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 play with the child very differently than you'll interact with society because you're not accessing the full you in dealing with your child because you're different than your child and it's clear it's obvious that they're not developed the same thing with an adult who's emotionally unstable, right? You're not dealing with your yourself when you're dealing with them. You're dealing with something that's different than you, that's understandably different than you, that will never turn into an enemy because of their deep dysfunction that's not comparable to you. Now notice, two unhealthy, broken, emotional adults that get into a fight 
will deep will be deeply adversarial and there will be an enemy like response because for them they're the same they see themselves the same that's why a key tell to somebody that's deeply emotionally broken is how they respond to people that are unstable if they respond as if they're stable then you know that they're unstable too because they're seeing their own image in the other person so it's like a proverb you know you know the the smart man who answers the fool is a fool too right because he sees himself in the fool needing response but now if an adult that's healthy assumed to be healthy and like you the idea is that it's like you remember it's nothing to do with being healthy it's like you meaning if you're not healthy then you will see that in unhealthy people but if it's like you then already they're the enemy it's not the threat on your life because someone who's broken as a person can can do as much damage if not worse than someone who's healthy now you could say that someone with true available logic can do way more harm you need smart nazis to do what they did you don't need full if only they were fools right but I don't think that's the emotional response that's happening. What's happening is that the likeness of you is fighting. Meaning it's you. You see yourself in them that's fighting you. Now you're responding to that. So your energy is only coming from them. Now, notice the second they go vulnerable to you. Let's say they strike you and then you're fighting. They'd be like, oh, I'm just having a rough day, right? I'm just... I'm, I'm they they open up it's very difficult to continue that because they've they've broken that energy of adversarialness towards you even if they incumbent harm on you so what we're learning is that first you need to be you need to be you need to be in the likeness of the person you're fighting so let's say fighting that extreme liberalism, you need to be recognizing that you're the same somewhat of, of them, right? They're not insane. So calling them insane is either you believing that they're actually insane and demonstrating that you're insane, or they're just, or you're just using words wrongly, inappropriately. Now, if you're fighting them with building an ideal that's only based on fighting them, meaning if society didn't go this track with these values, would you be building a more misogynistic view of the world? Or would you just go about your day with, you know, a neutral, maybe a little bit male dominant, you know, response? Possibly. But the fact that you're getting energized by the opposition is that, first of all, you kind of believe their story because you're seeing your likeness in them. And you're feeling like that need to fight that because anytime 
you're fighting, you're trying to get rid of that thing that's trying to enter your own soul that you can't protect. So that's that's one story. But the second is that your energy is only coming from them. As long as they fight, you have an image. The second they stop fighting, you've lost yourself in the mesh of just misidentity. The irony is that they're fighting to create an identity while well, you have none and your only is to create an identity based on them. Which is which is the saddest story of all. But also what's deeply worse about that. There's no end. Because your identity, they won't stop believing what they believe and you won't stop creating an identity against what they believe. Now who's going to who's going to construct more harm? The one who just has their own beliefs that they claim are innocent or the one who's only getting energized by the opposite side and their entire fight is based on the fact that the other side is fighting. Meaning, the person strikes another person. Now there's a response to that strike based on the likeness of that person and the willingness to implore justice, right? But where is that energy coming from? The energy is coming from the fact that they are missing, they are they are trying to construe who they are in the fact that they got hit. Meaning the right is trying to construe who they are because they just don't like the opposite. Their entire identity is built on fighting the opposition. As opposed to the opposition, which is not building their identity upon what the right hasn't told them, but rather their own view of life. So who's more dangerous? The one that invested every fiber of their existence to fight or the one who happens to be adversarial while building a philosophy of life that others don't like? Now, the right might argue that this extreme left is just being adversarial, but if you study it enough, you'll know it's just they're propositionalizing. It's their own beliefs in the private of their home. It's not something just to jab at people. As opposed to the right, if their entire identity is to jab whatever's being construed from the left. So the dangers in the right, the dangers in the the one who's using all their energy to fight. And I keep saying this and this is so important because we're not realizing this. I don't think I don't think anybody on the right realizes that they are going to be more dangerous. I'm talking about physical violent danger. Than the right, than the left, the extreme left, because their entire identity is based on fighting this.
they have nothing in them other than that. It's very similar. I don't want to compare it to the Nazis because we're not dealing with that. It's a different animal, but the Nazis had nothing of their own. Their identity was based on the hatred of others. It wasn't a philosophy that was developed in college and university. It wasn't an academic understanding of society and a propositional philosophy. It was, it, it was none of that. It was building upon what they don't like about others. They were using the energy of others. So much so that a little bit, let's go on a little bit of a side note. They were using the energy of the Jews to kill. As long as the Jews were a threat to them, their identity stood. So as the 1940s evolved, they got more aggressive to the Jews for one simple reason. Their identity kept becoming more threatened. So as your identity becomes more threatened, what do you what do you do? You you impersonate a, a better identity that's even stronger than the one before. So obviously the task at hand is to kill more Jews more methodically at whatever cost. This is why at the end of the war, even as they're at the gates of hell, they're still killing Jews even more than what they were doing in the beginning because you're, they're obsessed now with their identity. And now they, it's, it's clearly being threatened. It's clearly, clearly being toppled. And what was needed was just to kill more Jews to define them because once they stop hating or killing the Jew, they have nothing left of who they are. Which is a scary concept, and I'll tell you why. Who's energizing them? The Jews. The Jews are giving them the energy. The Jews are dictating their entire identity. So, of course, they're going to feel um, shameful in front of them because that's who they are. Of course, they're going to want to hit more and beat more because that's all they got to their life. That's all they their existence is. But what's interesting and what's, what's truly sad is that all that would, was needed to be done in order to stop this was the one controlling their identity, the Jew. Now, what, what could have the Jew done being in a position of a deep underdog? Well, if there was constant opposition at all fronts, then their identity would, would have been threatened more than all the enemy tanks. Meaning if you base your identity on the destruction of the Jew, but it constantly opposes you as a threat, your identity will slowly fall. So what, what if 
if there was enough uprising at a constant basis at all fronts, their identity would have started to fail automatically. It would it didn't need you didn't need manpower and you didn't need um warlike activity. It didn't need to be successful. But just the opposition at a constant basis everywhere would have decimated their identity that that they stood for it just it doesn't work when you base your identity as this person that's only there only exists to eradicate the jew and the jew shows opposition your identity is constantly being threatened and when you threaten identity enough it fails but that's a side note the extreme right or the right, the development of the right has an identity that's built on the failure of the left. So they will stop at nothing to find failure and stop at nothing to eradicate that because they don't have anything to propositionalize for themselves. They are the empty basket. And they have no other identity. And that's why you see a rise in anti-Semitism in the right. And I think we caught a quick glimpse of this. And this is a start of something way worse. Anybody not attuned is just... Anybody doesn't want to be honest about it. Um, Kanye West opened up a little bit about his inner motives, inner ideas. And a lot of the right, even the neutral right, allowed some freedom of expression there. The truth is that their entire identity is based on fighting that left of freedom of, of, freedom of speech, which will be let's hate and kill whoever we don't like. Why jump? Well, if you really believe, and Candace Owen really showed her, showed that evolution, and it will continue. If you truly believe freedom of speech, but only because you're fighting, your whole identity is based on another side that's trying to restrict that, you will go to whatever length to allow freedom of speech. Now, as it gets more hateful, it will lead to violence. And what is going to stop the violence? You need another identity that says, well, I don't think violence is good. Well, if your entire identity is to eradicate this opposition... Violence is the answer to eradication. What will stop that? And you see this with with the right. It's evolving. So the danger is not on the left. It's in the right. Now, is there problems with the propositions of the left? Possibly. I mean, it's a deep discourse. What's interesting is that the conversation that's worth having is the one that 
is bringing ideas from their own souls. So sitting down with somebody on the left and really opening up and discussing without trying to influence is a good conversation. Sitting with somebody on the right is only there to protect the brokenness of what the left is causing. That's a boring conversation because we're only based on what others are imposing on us. We have nothing of our own. That's a sad conversation. Now you might argue that there's no healthy dialogue, but there is. It's just not on the terms that you're ready to have. You choose the terms. You could have different terms. They have conversations. You could be in that conversation. Open mind and open heart. That's necessary. Being ready to be influenced and not to influence. But what's important is to recognize that the ideals are not sacred to the level of lack of conversation, but still enough sacred that we respect the holiness of it. If it's holy for freedom of gender, if that's holy for a society, then we need to make it holy. Not because we find it to be holy, but because they find it to be holy and we're part of them. And we could talk about it. Now there's good understandings in that. This is a great conversation to have. Understanding our identity and what composes who we are. There's an existential depth in that. Now there's a chaotic side of imposition on society and the corruption of children. But the positivity is we're opening up a dialogue that was never had as far as we know till now at this level. We're, okay, so this is the dialogue. Old dialogue leads to problematic actions, possibly, you know, like the mutilation of children. Right, there's, but there's the positivity, like starting to have that conversation of 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 sexuality that's that's opened without without taboo. That's important too. But to fight the corruption is more corrupt than the corruption itself. Because, okay, it's pretty terrible to put a child under the knife for freedom of expression. It's pretty terrible. But what's even more terrible is the attempt to counter that by stifling all sexual activity and energy where there's no there's no future of our society they might argue that too much freedom is is a problem too and we see this with the decline the decline of sexuality but
it's not fundamentally wrong. It's just a conversation that's leading to some bad actions. If it was fundamentally wrong, I think there would be admittance of society. Now, you don't combat it with taking on an identity of, okay, I am the person that's fighting this. Because then your energy is them, just as the Nazis' energy is the Jews. And then they control you, just as the Jews controlled the Nazis. And all you have is what they fight for. And you have nothing of your own. So you could philosophize and propositionalize an argument with them. But argumentation has to be a dialogue where you're equally influenced as they are. And the conversation of freedom of expression, even at a five-year-old child, is a true conversation. Where's the independence of a human being start? That's a great conversation. And there's room on either side. I think we, we were in the other extreme till now. And we're fixing that. The other extreme of assuming there's no, no independence till late adulthood. We were obsessed with that. Everybody's a minor. You're 21 and you're till you're 21 you are nobody in society you have no freedom of any choice or expression in the important matters that influence you like alcohol and cigarettes important as in their the possibility to hurt you or to make you better so we're, we're reversing that and that's important a five-year-old that speaks is important. What they say is important. We need to listen. Now, the conversation maybe should lead us to the question of, is there an extreme that we shouldn't go to? If a five-year-old says, I don't like living, should we implement suicide for them? Right? There's a slippery slope here. But that conversation is still a great conversation. When does independence of a human being start? And maybe a 15-year-old who has certain expressions. Well, that's that's okay. And if they feel that putting the knife to their body, that's another conversation. Is the body sacred? Or is the body something that we can manipulate for our benefit? Do we biohack the body? Do we use CRISPR and generate different DNA that will do different things for our body for our benefit how do we view the body that's another conversation and I think we're reversing the old notion that we shouldn't touch the body and just allow life to be because we see the success of the longevity of our existence our lifespan in putting the knife to the body but I think there's an extreme here. So do we just continuously just put ourselves in these 
precarious situations to manipulate longevity of life? At what point do we just accept our fatality? Two conversations that are just amazing to have. Third conversation. What is a man? What is a woman? What are the roles? What are the roles of identity? What is the roles of intimate sexuality? What's the importance of that? Where does that lead? What does it mean to be a feminine person? What does it mean to be a masculine person? Is light greater than the person receiving the light? Is the king greater than the servant? These are great conversations to have. And there's an extreme. There's an extreme like all that matters is the sun. The moon doesn't matter at all. Like that's that's foolish. Could you imagine a night without the moon? And all that matters is the moon. Well, could you imagine a life without the sun, a day without the sun? And those who argue that there's no sun or moon, there just is. Okay, so everything is just in receiving and giving. We have to admit that there's some sort of influence and being influence type of experience, right? Someone has to do the dishes. It can't just be no one. Okay, so who does it? Is it the man or the woman? Or is it whatever gender it is? Is it just as it is without definition? Well, there's room for that because we don't name somebody until we name them. So there's a nameless period before we get to name someone. So we do believe that People are nameless and having name. There's something infinite about people that we just don't understand that's complex. So putting it into the box of a man of that role or the box of a woman or any other box is taking away that infinite, that infinite experience of just being as they are. Okay, so you could go to the opposite extreme and just put people in boxes. The man does this, the woman does this. That's a tight society. There's no development of expression, of thought. If the man is in role, he's not being fully who they are. They, sh they are because there's more than role in them. And so for the woman. These are conversations. They're great conversations to have. And there's... Have, as you notice, there's there's a possibility of influence on either side. So I just labeled three conversations that that could be had that are important, and I'll leave off with, I'll leave off with the fourth, and that is nature. How do we view nature? We went to the other extreme. Notice that right after World War II, we were at the other extreme of just manipulate nature to our benefit. And we're seeing a rebirth of a, a, a relationship of nature. Now, how far do you go? If you're intimate with the animal, then are you going to over-sympathize with the animal to the human? Are you going to lock up a human for hurting an animal? Well, you're, then you're hurting the human. Like, so so what, is, what is human versus animal? And what is nature in general? Why why is there different color or different species of nature? And why do you get to propositionalize? Maybe let the animal propositionalize, right? And then 
we can have that conversation with other extreme like let's just extract as much as we want from nature but yeah but you don't want to be stuck in a technologically obsessed world where it's just mining for the now there's an ecology and experience uh, that we're that we're in relationship with that's deeply beneficial we feel better when we sit in candlelight versus electricity not just because one is being with manipulation and one is is done through some sort of natural now what does it mean to be natural well just as nature is why why do we care about that well we want to protect the future but is that just what you care about or that you want to connect to yourself and you connect to yourself better with candlelight versus electricity so we're having that conversation now you want to go to the extreme and say the climate is more valuable than the human okay you're getting wishy-washy there where you're going to start killing humans for the climate now what about killing yourself for the climate and who's the climate serving if it's just as it is is it a God that you're serving that exists beyond you? You wouldn't even know the word climate if not for your existence. So you have to have some sort of appreciation for your own existence. So again, these are great conversations. And notice they're all balancing in a, an opposite extreme. The, the obsession of no independence for the human being till a late age is bringing us the balance of independence at the earliest age. The obsession of putting people in roles that we had in the Industrial Revolution, you know, putting people in the factory in these roles, that obsession, the man, the woman, forcing that agenda is, is giving us the opposite extreme of saying there's no roles or we get to decide the roles and we can move through those roles the infinite versus the finite they're all balancing extremes that were wrong too and might might we go to extreme too yeah cutting up a child is is seemingly morally wrong so but that conversation is not the conversation that led to the cutting up of a child. That's not wrong. And that conversation could be had. And we could understand what was fundamentally wrong with saying that human beings don't have that independence of free expression that matters to society at early ages. There's much to talk about and I'll end off what we started with, which is you reframing, you looking at our value system, not as the most sacred thing, but not as no sacred. There's a sacredness there. It's not worth bowing down to all day long, but... It's worth the conversation. It's worth the dialogue, the influence of each side. And it's worth not to fight about it because if you do fight about it, then your identity is just to fight. 
And you won't know when you've hit past the boundary which erupts the world into chaos as Candace Owen did and future personalities of that camp will, which will be applauded by many on the right, those not even extreme, which can erupt into a Nazi-like violence, although they are not Nazis and not close to that. The rule of thumb here is be substantial in your own regard, not in just what you fight about. That's the rule of thumb. I'll leave you off with that. Thanks for listening. And if you would like to see the video version of this, check out my channel on YouTube.